welcome to the GMC podcast, the place where you can listen to the weekly word from God and highlights from the team at GMC, Gillespie Memorial Church in Dunfermline, Scotland. This podcast brings you the sermon series, Matthew, the teachings of Jesus Christ the King, and it's the third part of the series. And we now look at chapter 13 over a five-week period and the, the teachings of Jesus through parables. Often this teaching related to daily life of the time, sowing seeds, fishing, bread making, amongst other things. And it's through these simple things of life that Jesus brings deep truths about the kingdom of heaven. So thanks for joining us on this podcast as we will encourage you to respond to God's word and the challenge of Jesus Christ. Now, before the word from God, we will lead you in a time of prayer. Father God, although we are still in the depths of winter and it has been particularly cold and icy this week, we know that spring is coming and new life will begin as flowers start to bud and the leaves return to the trees. The reassurance of spring is like the reassurance of your love and that you will never leave us, even in the darkest, coldest times. You are our warm space, our soft spot, our on button. Particularly on a Sunday morning when we gather here to sing your praises, hear your word and learn and grow from your teachings. Still our racing hearts and centre our distracted minds with prayer as we lay at your feet our thankfulness for the blessings in our lives our joys, our worries, and our concerns. As a flower opens and blooms in the spring sunshine, open our ears to hear clearly your guiding voice, telling us of the next step on the path you have planned for each and every one of us in your design for our lives to continue to further your kingdom. May we bask and grow in the warmth of your reassuring love today knowing that our declared sins are forgiven and should be forgotten, along with any residual shame we may feel. Let us not cling or hark back to past glories. Our connection to you needs to remain strong and current. You are our source of strength, of life. May we be able to witness consistently and constantly of the new thing you are doing in our lives. Help us, Father God, to have the courage to take the next step in faith, in confidence and love. Amen. Following that time of prayer, I hope your heart is prepared and open to receive from God's word wherever you are today. If you hear anything from our preacher today, from God's word or the sermon that challenges you and raises questions, or if you want to know more about the Christian faith, about getting to know the Lord Jesus, then please get in touch via our website or through the office. Details are in the show notes. Or maybe you'd like to support GMC financially in our ministry for the kingdom. Again, details can be found through the contact us page of our website, gillespiechurch.org or via our Facebook page. Now, over to our preacher. So our reading today comes from Matthew 13, 24 to 30, 
then 36 to 40, then 47 to 50. Hear the word of God. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed ears, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Skipping to verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of age, and the harvesters are the angels. Pretty succinct um, wrapping up of his parable there. But he goes on. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his, out his angels and they will weed out, his, out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. And then the parable of the dragnet or the fishing net uh, at the end of chapter 13 from verse 47. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. They sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw away the bad. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Amen. Thanks God for the reading of his holy word to his name, be praise and glory. So amazingly, we're at the midway point. Uh, Chapter 13 isn't the biggest of chapters in the Bible, and we will reach the midway point of this service, uh, this series on what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's what these parables is Jesus is explaining, what the kingdom of heaven is like. Kingdom of heaven is a Matthew, a Matthewan term for the kingdom of heaven. God. And this morning's parable of the wheat and tares, or the wheat and the weeds, it has some similarities with last week's parable where Ronnie spoke to us about the parable of the sower, the parable of the soils. It's dealing with an agricultural theme. But as we set that theme for the question for today, for all people who are here and profess to be a Christian, here's a question for you. Do you believe Jesus will come again and there will be a day of judgment. 
Many in the church, I believe, do not. Over the last couple of centuries, central doctrines of the Christian faith that have been held for over 2,000 years have been watered down. You can find uh, preachers and ministers out there watering down the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Sin gets degraded. What is sin? You even have some preachers challenging Jesus' physical resurrection. Some who profess Christian faith challenge what is biblical orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is seen as a bad word because it challenges the world. But is that not the point of the gospel, that it challenges the world? So with all the influences on your life, however short or long it's been to this point, as you listen to what I say from God's word today, do you believe what the gospel says, what is on Jesus' words about his second coming and his judgment upon the world at that end time? Because that's what this, these two parables are about. So let's explore them and find out what Jesus had to say. There's a few, there's five key elements to the parable of the wheat and the tares. First is he refers to the field. And it's key to the parable. We understand what he means by the field. There has been incorrect teaching in churches that the field refers to the church. Some people say, the field's the church, the church is made up of imperfect but saved people and unregenerate, unsaved people. They all come together and we're the church and that's what Jesus is referring to as the field. But Jesus doesn't say that. He does not say that. He says the field is the world. It's in verse 38. And it's a world of which he claims ownership. He says in verse 24, he says, a man sowed good seed in his field. Not a field, he sowed good seed in his field, the field that he owned. And then he explains later on, verse 37, that the one who sowed the seed is the son of man. You find that title, the Son of Man, on Jesus' lips more than any other title that he carries. Rabbi, teacher, Lord, Messiah. It is the Son of Man. And it's from the book of Daniel when Daniel is writing about the end times. Daniel 7 to 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Sovereign, so he's a king. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom, again, he's king, is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus claims the field is the world, and The field is his. He's the owner, the master of this field. And the field contains all four of the soils Ronnie mentioned last week. I mean, we talk about 
the parable of the sower and he's scattering his seed on, on these different types of soil. The field Jesus is talking about in this parable isn't subdivided into four quarters with some hard places, some rocky places, some places overgrown with weeds and some good soil. It's all in the one field. And that's the whole wide world, which includes the church, but is not just the church. Secondly, into the field we find two sowers. The owner of the field, who I've already said is identified as the son of man. In the parable last week, the sower seemed to be all, that, all the people who proclaimed the gospel. I could be called a sower. You could be called a sower of the gospel into your families or your communities. But in this parable, the sower is Jesus alone. As the creator of the world and as the creator of humankind in the image of God, where we as his creation are planted with principles, holy principles and aspirations, might have gone wrong, but they're planted within us, Jesus also planted his word into this world. So he planted holy people. He planted his word through his ministry that ends up in scripture. Jesus sows into his field. The other sower is the enemy, the evil one, Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him, he is the enemy. He comes and sows in a field that isn't his. It's not his dominion. He doesn't belong there. He sows evil in a field not belonging to him, but rather in the world where Jesus is king, remains king always. But do you notice what he does in that parable? He sows while everyone was sleeping. He's a coward. You sometimes have to watch parables. You, You don't try and take too much meaning out of every single word and every little bit of uh verse. It's not this isn't the servants lacking watchfulness. They were rightfully, they'd done a day's work, they were sleeping. This isn't about the servant's lack of awareness. This is about the devil sowing inconspicuously, in the darkness, being sneaky. It's the evidence of his cowardliness. And it's only in darkness that he can operate. I've said it before, when I've talked about my life in um, hospitality, in nightclubs, You see so much darkness and evil and sin happen in the darkness. People don't want to see you to see what they're doing wrong. Crime happens so much in dark places away because when it's in the light, it gets exposed. So that's the second thing, two sowers. The third thing, there's two products being sown. There's the wheat which is good, and the tares, the weeds, in some translations, which are not. They're the wicked. So the evil one has crept into the night and sows the bad seed alongside the good wheat. But I want to, I feel um, completely under pressure because my son is at the back of the room and I want to talk horticulture. So he's studying it for a degree eventually. So I hope I have this right. I think we all probably know what wheat is, yeah? Farmers sow it, they combine it, 
it, it, it's got to be the right whatever. Um, content of sugars and starches, and it's got to be the right uh, dryness, and then ultimately it gets milled into flour and processed into lots of things, but lots of nice baked goodies, breads and cakes and all that stuff. So we know what wheat is, but what about tares? Does anybody really know what a tear is? Well, tares is the Hebrew for darnel, or in the Latin, sorry, got to read this, lolium temelentum. Lolium telelentum. It is actually a weed that is known to grow amongst wheat, amongst grain. Grains of all sorts, but particularly wheat. And it looks similar to wheat until the grains appear. Have you ever in your garden had something growing and you're like, I don't know what it is? You've got to wait for it to grow till it flowers or matures and before you can truly know exactly what it is. But this darnel, tear, is also known as false wheat. It is really difficult to tell apart until maturity. So we note, know that wheat has this brown uh, colour when it's ready to harvest. Darnel, its ears are black, black in colour. And if you process that seed, that grain, and turn it into flour, the darnel is poisonous. It gives a bitter taste to bread if you've got that flour mixed in with the wheat flour. So Jesus uses these two grains in his parable. That when they're planted and they germinate and they start to grow side by side, they have similar appearances. It's only when they are mature that they are more easily distinguished. And so you see what it's saying about Satan's attempts to sow sin into the world. He's clever. He's trying to imitate that which is good. This tear this darnel looks like the wheat it's pretending to be like it but it's not satan deceives by dressing up what is bad to appear good it's the story of the garden of eden here eat from the fruit it's not bad it's good and it's been like that ever since in our lives, we do things and we try to excuse them and we say, ah, oh, don't worry, it's not bad. It's who do we believe? But if we think about Satan's temptation of Jesus in the desert, Jesus could see straight through him. So who do we believe? The tempter Satan or the true king and owner of the field? Jesus. So those are the products that Jesus says the tares sown by the evil one. But do you know what else he goes on to say? It's not just what they grow into. He says they are his children, sown into the world. It's not that it's not the sons and daughters of the evil one are his product, his children. All children, all human beings are made in the image of God. There we find our origin in God. But rather those who are evil are those who are corrupted by him. Think about 
What's been in the news about that policeman in the Metropolitan Police? All those sexual assaults and the, maybe quite rightly the Metropolitan Police is being, having shreds torn off them. But there you have an evil, sinful person dressing up as one who should be good, serving alongside the good. He was not born evil, he's had his evil sown into him. Tempted to sin and had his character moulded by ways of wickedness. And then these people continue to sow more sin. Drug gangs, drug dealers, pulling young children. The children are not born sinful, they're pulled into it by other sinful, evil people. The seed, Jesus says, Satan is sowing is just these kind of people that continue to sow more evil. People cause people to sin. Satan, through temptation, deception, is the master of trickery through his children. But as the wheat and the tares, as the good and evil grow side by side, they're not always easily detectable. But they have long-lasting effects. When we moved into the manse, there were some, what I thought were really quite nice ornamental grasses. And they grow and they throw out these big long spikes with the seeds on the end and then of course they go to seed and the wind blows. Eventually, I, I can't quite remember, a couple of years ago, Alex helped me, or maybe it was last year, take them out. Because do you know what? Little ones of these ornamental seeds are popping up through in between the paving cracks everywhere over the garden the front and the back it's not that the plant is bad it's not a weed though I asked Alex what is a weed and he said something a plant that is growing where it isn't wanted is that right yeah thank you <laughs> if you're a gardener and you love a perfect lawn a dandelion is a weed if you want to grow a wildflower meadow with lots of plants, a dandelion's not a weed. It's where it should be or not should be. But my point being with this ornamental grass is, when something has sown and set seed, it's really hard to get rid of. It's ri you have to keep on it, year after year, pulling it up, pulling it up, pulling it up. Before, it, before the... The babies of the original plant, if you like, set seed themselves. And just so with the seeds of mischief sown by the devil. They remain dark and lingering. And do you know what? The church isn't immune to them. There is much that's sinful against God in our world, but also in the church. Stuff that's sinful in the eyes of the Lord has not changed in millennia. Well, what about the wheat and the good seed? I've been talking about the tares. Well, the good seed, the wheat, are the children of the kingdom, says Jesus. In the parable of the sower from last week, the seed was the word, the word being sown. But here, the good seed is the product of the received word. People receive the word of God, they respond, they themselves then become the good seed. The link's huge. A good seed of the word of God produces a crop. As we heard last week, 160, 30 times what was sown. 
a crop of disciples who are followers of Christ, who are then seeds themselves into the world, sowing the good news. Christians are those who have received, understood, and applied the Scriptures correctly and therefore become children of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus sows those transformed lives into a world of sin and misery in order to bear fruit for the kingdom. So another question I don't need an answer to, but to think about is, has he sown you into the world? What fruit are you bearing? Fourthly, we have two questions. The owner's servants asked, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? It's a difficult question. And I think we need to hold that question quite lightly. Because it's a question that goes to what many people will ask is, why does God allow evil? The servants are asking, you sowed good seed, how come there are weeds in the field? If God created a good world, why is there evil? Why do evil and good exist together, especially so many years after the resurrection? What's God waiting for? Surely it's time for the harvest, isn't it? Just stop now, God. Come on. Also, why is the enemy so active? In Lorna's prayer, she prayed for Russia and Ukraine to get around the table. Difficult when there's evil in the room. This topic is a big, deep, wide reservoir I could wade and swim into. I'm not going to. It's full of deep layers of mystery. Why is there evil? It's not a theological answer, but if you don't have evil, how do you know what good is? I only know I'm tall because I can stand next to somebody short. If everybody was my height, I wouldn't know I'm tall or short. There would, if we were all exactly the same height, there would be no short or tall. If there's no evil, how do we know what is good? I've not read that. It's something I've said for many years, and it's not, I don't know how theological it is. But it's an answer. But what I do know, in this mystery, God does what he does. And he is in control. It, much of it's unfathomable, but what I do know is the final score. I'm not a betting man. But I'd place a bet on God's final judgment and his victory. It's assured. We know this because the answer to the next question the servants ask of the owner and master is this. Do you want us to go and pull them up? Do you want us to go round your field of wheat and pull up the bad? <coughs> the tares, as I've already said, in unripe conditions, the wheat and the darnel look the same. How do you know what to pull up? They look very similar. There would be a huge danger of pulling up good wheat as you pull up the bad. And so, as the harvester, the master, 
the owner of the field, he says, no, we don't sift out the bad and the good at the moment. You don't have the wisdom. He doesn't say it, but it's like, no, that's a job beyond your capabilities. I'm not giving you that. Which brings me to the fifth and final couplet, the two harvests. There is one harvest time, but two harvests. Jesus says the harvest time is the end of the age, the parousia, the second coming of Christ, the eschaton. There's a whole bunch of words for it. It's the final judgment when the Son of Man will consummate the establishing of the kingdom of heaven on earth. This isn't somewhere up in the clouds. This is here. And this is why I think some of the church kind of lose their mind. They're like, uh, they, they can't fathom it. Jesus, the Son of God, came once before. He will come again. So with the harvest time come, it's not humanity that are the reapers, but angels. Angels called to his kingdom to remove sinners and sin from the earth. The angels will be able to identify everything that causes sin and all who do evil. It's not just sinners, it's sin itself. A pulled up, gathered, bundled together before destruction by fire, accompanied by a wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's expressions of final judgment in Scripture. It's scary language. Go read Revelation, read Daniel. Read some of the visions of Ezekiel. Burned in the fire, blazing furnace, wailing and gnashing of teeth. It is so final, it's the end, there's no coming back. But for the wheat, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. The evidence of people's lives will be judged by God and his perfect justice. No error, no mistake. Do you believe that? That's what I asked at the beginning. Do you believe in the end times and the judgment of Jesus Christ, our eternal, perfect Savior? Do you believe in the harvest, the end of the age, a time of moral assessment? Well, none will escape the return of Christ the King. I feel deeply so many have no clue. I'm looking at some of you older folks who've been in churches before I started coming, before I became a minister. How many times in your life, if you're older, have you heard this preached? When I was, a, when I was started my training, I was at a, yeah, I'll use the word, a liberal church. And the minister had been there 30 years. And I preached on Jesus' temptation on the desert. That's what I'd been asked to preach on. And I spoke and preached about the devil. Coffee time. Somebody came up to me and said, that's the first time we have heard the devil mentioned here in 30 years. I'm like, what? What are you hearing? I have conversations with people who have this concept of an afterlife. When you take funerals, go to a humanist funeral. They can't help themselves. There's a time to die, blah, blah. You know, lamentations, they use it. They use scripture. 
People up there talk about their loved ones being somewhere. It's only the hardened atheists who believe nothing. Worm food. People have a desire to go somewhere better than this life, but many have zero concept of what they're even considering. And this parable describes exactly the scenario at the end times. A life beyond this one and the consequences of the life we are living now has an outcome on our eternal future. So Jesus concludes the teaching in chapter 13 with the dragnet parable. Don't worry, this is quite quick. Because the net in this one is a dredging net. Yeah? You know, it's a net that goes into the sea. It's going to drag across the bottom of the uh, seabed and it's going to take everything. The entire harvest, all the fish, everything scooped up. And then the harvest is sorted. Good fish into baskets and the bad thrown away. And then Jesus explains again. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's exactly the same words he used in the parable of the wheat and the tares. This final arrival of the kingdom of heaven will be like a net covering the entire world. Gathered, no one will escape being gathered up by it. None will escape being sorted into two groups. Those who God accepts and those who God rejects. And that, I think, is the fundamental people problem, sorry, because people don't like the idea of a God who might reject. When will this occur? I don't know. Jesus tells us not to worry about when it will occur, but will it occur? Most certainly. The Old Testament in Daniel again declares, at that time, Michael, not me, the archangel Michael, at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Assurance. The Gospel of John 14, 1-3, Jesus states, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm not going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. I am the name of God, Yahweh. Jesus is God. One of the three in one. He wants us with him. And then in Peter's first letter in chapter 5 verse 10, he writes, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, what did I ask? Have we all struggled, suffered, have a difficult day, week, month, year? After you have suffered a little while, he will restore himself, he himself will restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. You will be restored. The end times are not a matter of if, but when. 
the Lord Jesus calls his people to himself. And it is a future certainty. But know this. Concluding remark. We live in an age of grace. Our present reality is the field. Evil and good growing side by side, mixed in together, sitting alongside. It's in our workplaces. It's in the corridors of power, politics, business, the third sector. It's in schools and hospitals and police stations and prisons and churches. Sinners and saints reside in the same field. The field that is owned by King Jesus but it is a field where we can be certain his grace is capable of fashioning sinners into saints. I know that for a fact because it's what he has done for me. He's moved me from a sinner to a saint. And that's not saying I'm perfect because I know I'm still a sinner and he's still regenerating and working in my life. But do you know what? I have abundant faith and assurance that my faith will save me. And I know if you know Jesus, you have that too. Jesus says, by his power, the enemy can and will be defeated. The slaves of sin made the children of God, adopted as sons and daughters of the living God, and thus saved from eternal judgment. That's the message that we should be taking to the world today. And the message has lost none of its power. It's just the church has lost the courageousness to proclaim it. It's a message that condemns us unless we act upon it. Do you know when you have increased knowledge of the Lord, it brings increased responsibility to share it. So even as the devil tries to sow tears into our hearts, when our hearts are set on Jesus and we make him Lord of his life, we reject all those temptations. So go into the world today with the assurance that that brings. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are so just, that your justice is perfect. We thank you for your son sent to die for our sins that we might have a relationship with you, our living and loving God. And Father, thank you for uh, Pentecost, for the arrival of Holy Spirit to guide, to counsel, to light our way. And Father, thank you that you are still turning sinners into saints. Father, thank you that you have not yet brought the end of age, but are still seeking to grow your kingdom. Father, let us be those who will sow your word and your truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to the Sunday podcast from our team at GMC Dunfermline in Scotland. If you'd like more details about who we are, what we believe and how we serve, then visit the website at gillespiechurch.org or find us on Facebook. Or maybe you can check back some of the videos on our YouTube channel. Just search for Gillespie Memorial Church. All inquiries can be made through the contact us page of our website or by calling the office. Again, details are in the show notes. If you'd like to support our work with a financial offering, then that can be made by clicking the support us with stewardship icon on the homepage of the website. 
This has been a production of GMC, including the pastors and the tech team. All copyright remains with the producers. Today's episode was edited by Jack Wiggle, and the soundtrack is Up to the Mood by Low Tree. Thank you for listening, and God bless. <laughs>